Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 49 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, March 13th, and it is Selection Sunday, guys, the most wonderful time of the year. We have just learned Duke's place in the NCAA tournament, and we will dive into all of the bracket madness in just a minute. First, I'm the host this week. I am Donald Wine, a.k.a. Blazing DW on the DBR forums, coming to you from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As usual, my partners in crime are here with me. Coming to us from Colorado's capital, Denver, we have Sam Klein, a.k.a. Dev11, on the forums. Hey, Sam. Hey, Donald. How are you? Um, yeah, sorry. I'm doing great. <laughs> that was awkward. I don't know why I, don't know why I stopped you right now. Um. <laughs> I feel great. How are you doing? What was that? Uh, please, please leave that in. Um, what happened there? What was that? My, uh, my brain uh, did a double take. Um, ah. I was like... I wanted to ask Donald how he was, and I also wanted to talk about myself. It was bad, um, but uh, but but Donald, it's good to know that you're doing well. I'm also doing well because um, I didn't have to go to those ACC tournament games this week. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry for that. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. What much yeah, later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, but I, did, I did make a pretty good stew for dinner that I just finished eating. Um, well, that's so good. I'm happy about that. Awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, um, you know, so anyway, our, why, don't you, why don't you introduce the other guy? Yeah, let's bring in our other guy uh, in Georgia's capital of Atlanta. <laughs> we have a bunch of capitals represented tonight. Uh, Jason Evans. He is Jason Evans on the forums. Jason, what is going on? Uh, well, so I just got done eating. Uh, we made lamb chops. I, I grilled lamb chops this evening. Very, very delicious. Uh, so that was my meal. Um, but, uh, you know, if I can wax poetic for a moment, this is the most bittersweet time of year, isn't it? I mean, everything has led up to this. To some extent, the NCAA tournament is like the only thing that matters. Not that it really is the only thing that matters, but to some extent, it's kind of the only thing that matters. So it's the most exciting time of year, but it's also the moment where you realize... But everyone's hopes and dreams get crushed except for one lucky team. Yeah, it's the moment where you realize that one more, there's only, you know, one more loss and, and you're done. It comes to such a sudden end. The and, finality um, of it all. Oh, uh, it's just... Can't, could we do this like earlier and then have more no that wouldn't work it wouldn't work so we would just but, talk about it for for much more time without actual basketball to be played so <laughs> right right so it's it's bittersweet it's incredibly exciting i love this is like literally today and like over the next week is like my favorite week of the entire year but it's also it could end it could easily end so. well you know what let's let's just jump right into it this is the big news of the week of the year as we mentioned before we are recording this episode about a half hour after the conclusion of the selection show for the NCAA tournament. Which, wait, 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 wait. Hey, hey, can now, we... hey, which means it's now April, right? Right, because the selection what? show just ended. So now it's April. Oh, no, I was going to say, can oh, we do a re- come on. Can we really quick? You said the word selection show. Can I just really quick? Uh, was Charles Barkley drunk? Oh, hey, that was my comment. Oh, whoa, whoa. You're <laughs> stealing my joke? No, no, no. Still, okay, wait, wait, still you're right. the flow. No, no. Oh, the one oh, I wanted to say, Kenny Smith was the one I wanted to talk about. Kenny Smith at one point said that Buddy Heel could captivize the nation. Captivize. He said the word three different times. Captivize. I've checked. I use that Google thing. I use that Webster's dictionary. Captivize, not a word. Captivate is a word. Captivize is not a word. Actually, I, I did Google Translate, and in Portuguese, captivize is captivize. <laughs> He was not speaking Portuguese. He wasn't he was speaking, speaking Portuguese, though. He was speaking Kenny Smithian. And Charles Barkley, Charles Barkley on the touchscreen. Charles Barkley on the touchscreen was the worst television I've ever seen in my life. What Did they not train him? Did he, did, was that the first time he'd ever used that touchscreen? I think it was. I think that it was, was just, the first time for, for I, uh, all of them, except for, except for uh, Seth I just, wanna, I, I just want to point out that I, I texted the two of you. And as, as soon as Charles was doing that, and I said, is Charles Barkley drunk? Yes, it's your <laughs> joke. It is your joke. <laughs> well, that was just because um, he's like, in good Charles, uh, is, Charles is a joy and a, and a pleasure to watch. And I hope that we have him um, foolishly analyzing college basketball for many, many more years. Yeah. He has no idea what he's talking about. And it's not perfect. a clue. Uh, but he's better than Kenny Smith. Absolutely. Well, captivize. I'm captivized by them. Captivized by both. And he's of them. less, and he's and he's much less of a jerk than Doug Gottlieb. Oh, no. oh. Well, Do we have a bleeping? Can we can we bleep? Can we bleep out what we're going to say about Doug Gottlieb? Uh, you know what? I think if we say it just once, we can we can get it in under the wire. So go ahead and say it. Doug Gottlieb is 
No, I'm not saying. I'm not going to. Oh, he went there. <laughs> I was trying to close. I believe I also said that. I believe I also said that in our text chat. <laughs> yeah, you did. Something like that. You did. Yeah. To that effect. You did. All right. Okay. Let's talk about, about uh, Let's not talk about anymore. Can we talk about, like, basketball and stuff? Yeah, let's talk about Duke. So our Duke Blue Devils were slotted as the four seed in the West Bracket, and they will play the 13th seed UNC Wilmington in Providence. It is a 12-15 tip-off on Thursday that has just been announced. And our pod includes five-seed Baylor facing off against 12-seeded Yale. So obviously there's a lot to unpack with the not just Duke's road to Houston in general, but also our opponent and also the bracket as a whole. So we're going to start with Duke's road to Houston Jason, I'll give you the first crack. How do you like our yellow brick road so far? Uh, if you told me that this was the bracket Duke was going to get a week ago, I would have said to you, you're lying. It can't possibly be that easy. Now, I don't want to imply that it is easy. I don't want to imply that Duke's road, that it, people are going to be picking Duke left and right, or that Duke is some favorite to win this bracket. Not by a long shot. But if you said to me that, and I'm going to put UNC Wilmington aside. We'll talk more about them in a little bit. Um, First round opponents, you know, Duke is a favorite. Duke's going to be about a 10 point favorite against them. But if you said to me, oh, second round, we're going to get Baylor as our number five. And then if we win that game, we're going to get Oregon as our number one. I would have said to you, oh, I'll take that in a heartbeat. I mean, when you look at the other number one seeds, when you look at Kansas, North Carolina and Virginia, Oregon is the weakest of them. There's no question about that. I'm not saying Oregon's a bad team. I'm not saying Duke would beat them hands down by any stretch. But Oregon's the weakest of the number one seats. And I'll give you another one. Baylor, they're the weakest of the number five seats. Indiana, Purdue, and Maryland are the other five seeds. If you look at Ken Pomeroy's rankings, and, and look, we all trust Ken Palm. Ken knows what he's talking about. Purdue, who's a five seed, is the number 10 Ken Palm team. Indiana, a five seed, is the number 14 Ken Palm team. Maryland's number 23, but Maryland's unbelievably talented. They're probably the team that's underachieved the most all year. Baylor's number 24 in Ken Palm. They're the worst of the five seeds. Um, I, I, I love our situation in that regard. And I'll tell you something else. I think Duke got kind of lucky to get a number four. If you look at the Ken Pomeroy rankings, Duke is the lowest ranked of the other four seeds. Kentucky. Kentucky just won the SEC. Kentucky looks as good as anyone in the country perhaps right now. Kentucky got a number four. Cal. Cal is full of lottery picks. I mean, everyone's talking about how this Cal team, which is finally coming together, they got a number four seed. They got nothing but lottery picks on that team. Iowa State, a very, very good team out of the Big 12. They're a number four seed. I think... We got unbelievably lucky. We got the weakest number one. We got the weakest number five. We're probably the weakest number four. It's more than I could ask for. I, I, think, I think it's great. I'm not saying we're going to win, but I, I think we did really well. And the, as an added bonus, we got to stay on the Eastern Seaboard. We get to stay in our time zone. I, it couldn't, could not have worked out better. Yeah, I well, know. We, there stay, was, in the, we there was, stay in Eastern time until we have to go out West if we win this weekend, right? I'm just talking first round. Hey, hey I'm well, dealing yeah, with yeah, yeah, sure. one or two games at a time, baby. One or two games at a time. Sam, give me your thoughts on the on this uh, our road so far. To, to the I'm I, I agree entirely with Jason. Right? I mean, we got we got a lot of um, other teams in our bracket that that have some talented players. Obviously, um, Baylor has some size. Uh, Oregon has has played above expectations this year, but um, for the most part. Uh, we avoided, you know, the the teams with the heavy, you know, like the heavy hitter teams. Uh, we didn't end up in that East Regional, which is which is a brutal road. Um, UNC is going to have a tough time, maybe even in the second round against against Providence, that had a, as a guy in Chris Dunn who was like who was like a first team All American, you know, level player this year. Um, so we're we're very happy, I think, to be where we are. That being said, Baylor, I think, is going to present challenges. UNC Wilmington could present challenges, and Donald, if you want. I can uh, give you guys a quick rundown on UNC Wilmington. You want me to go for that? Yeah, and, and let me let me just say briefly that I, I think that the the one thing to t- unpack from at least our pod is that it looks like you know I think Jason, you were saying that we might be the weakest four seed, but it looks like that the selection committee probably rated us as the strongest of the four seeds. They did. Uh, they given, did. And 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 uh, we'll talk about. I think we're going to talk about seeding uh, in a little bit when we unpack the entire bracket in general. But I think that is why we kind of get placed in the bracket that for me looks very, you know, possible. You know, I think the one thing that we, you know, obviously have concerns with over a three day period playing two games is our depth. But if we can get past this weekend, who look out like we, you know, we can make, you know, cause some damage in this tournament. But uh, let's start with our first game. Our first game is against UNC Wilmington. Again, Thursday, 
12-15 tip-off on the East Coast in Providence. Uh, Sam, I know you uh, talked about, uh, you, you broke down and analyzed uh, the Sea Wolves. Uh, so give us your take on what we can expect on Thursday. Yeah, so let me just say at the outset that I'm really bummed that our game is the first one on Thursday. I was hoping that I could get in half a day of work before leaving to go uh, watch all the basketball. But that's not going to be the case. Looks like I'm taking the whole day on Thursday off. Um, but that being said, we have UNC Wilmington, which is kind of an interesting team. Um, in particular, they're not very good at shooting, um, but they they have a lot of guys. Um, they, they run deeper than we do, although every team runs deeper than Duke. So, uh, but their their starting lineup, with the exception of a, a player named CJ Gettys, is pretty small. Um, Gettys is a seven foot, uh, two hundred seventy five pound center, uh, but he only gets about fifteen minutes a game. So they start a like notional looking lineup. They go six foot, six one, six five, six five, and then seven footer. So they're like, you know, on the on the top end, they obviously have a guy who's who's the height of a center. Um, but after that, they got a lot of shorter guys. He doesn't play very much though, and when he comes out. Um, the first guy off the bench is Jordan Talley, who's a six foot, um, six foot tall sophomore guard. So um, UNC Wilmington is small, and it reflects in the fact that they only grab uh, 38 rebounds a game. Their uh, highest leading rebounder only grabs five, which is Gettys, even though he only plays 15 minutes. So um, it's they're not a they're not a great balance team, um, and they have a weird discrepancy where they have a couple guys who are pretty good free throw shooters, um, Chris Flemings and, and Denzel Agram, who are uh, the two like two older starting guards, one's from Cary and one's from Chapel Hill. Um, those guys shoot in the 80% in free throws. Um, the other three starters all hit in the, in the 60s, or, or in the case of Gettys, the, the center, he hits in the 50s. So um, attacking this team uh, with fouls is a good thing, although Duke doesn't really have much depth. So uh, it, it'll be curious to see if if they employ that strategy very much against them. Um, uh, Chris Fleming, who, who I mentioned, he's the, he's the leading scorer for them. He plays 32 minutes a game. He plays almost the whole game basically at this point in the season. Um, and he's averaging 16 points um, and, and six rebounds. So um, he's kind of their, he's kind of their lead guy. He's the guy to stop, um, but they, they can move the ball around a little bit. Um, they have a number of guys that can score. Um, although, although not super efficiently, um, they are uh, 74th in adjusted offense by Ken Palm and that they're 105th in defense uh, and they run 87th in tempo. So, uh, nothing particularly notable about their about their Ken Palm rating. They are 74th in Ken Palm, which means that they're pretty low rated for a team that makes the tournament at all, um, let alone a team that gets a uh, you know a, a 13 seed like they did. Um, so I, I I and I think the the odds that I that I saw come out like on Twitter or, or wherever else um, were saying that Duke was going to be a favorite by about nine or ten. So not that I want to write off UNC Wilmington. Obviously, Duke has had its its fair share of trouble in the first round in the last few years. Um, in, you know, in certain seasons, even when they're higher rated than they are this year, um, this is a team that that Duke should be able to beat. They've got two um, common opponents, uh, those being Georgetown and Elon. Um, the uh, um, Wilmington lost to Georgetown. They beat Elon um, both by small numbers. Duke Duke beat both of those teams. Um, and beat Elon pretty handily, although it was at home. So um, I expect Duke to to win this game. Um, I think the Ozmakers think Duke's going to win this game, and that's not just it being a name brand in Duke. Um, but it's just that Will- UNC Wilmington, I don't think it's going to be able to keep up with them. Um, they don't present they don't present a particular challenge that I think this team's not able to handle. Unlike if we were going to talk about Baylor and their size and 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 their center, um, I think that's a that's a team that the Duke can look forward to and say that they're they're going to be a little bit harder of a matchup. Um, but against UNC Wilmington, Duke should be able to over like just overwhelm them, overpower them. Um, but you know, obviously it's the tournament, and you never know what's going to happen. Uh, Jason, I think you had um, you had some thoughts about about their coach and their schedule. Did you want to add on to UNC Wilmington? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, I think the most interesting thing about UNC Wilmington is their coach Kevin Keats. Um, he's a former uh, Louisville assistant under Rick Pitino. Um, and and he gets his teams like Patino to play physical basketball and and to play full court basketball. Um, they're not afraid to press. They're not afraid to to guard you. You know, all ninety feet of the court. And and that's that's something that could be troublesome for Duke. And Kevin Keats, by the way, is he's on his way up to the big time. Um, uh, UNCW had not had a winning season in seven years, and he came in last year, his first year on the job, and made them conference champions. This, this year, his second year in the job, they did it again. 
Um, and he won Colonial Coach of the Year last year. He won Colonial Coach of the Year this year. So he's he won it back to back, which has never been done before in the Colonial Conference. And he did it in his first two years on the job. I mean, Kevin Keats is big time. Um, this is a guy who I, I, I'll tell you something. I won't be surprised if if the hooker scandal, if the prostitute scandal brings down Rick Pitino at Louisville, they're going to look at Kevin Keats as a potential replacement. This is a guy who's on his way places, but the place he's in right now is UNCW. And I think that it's tough for us to really judge these guys because they didn't play any one of consequence. <clears throat> Aside from Georgetown, who you pointed out, um, Georgetown is the only, and Georgetown did not have a great season. Georgetown did not have a typical Georgetown kind of season or a typical Georgetown kind of team. They didn't play, UNCW did not play a single BCS conference team. They didn't play a single team ranked in the RPI top 50. Think about that for a minute. They basically, they didn't play anyone who's in the tournament for the most part. Um, the best team they played all year was Hofstra. Hofstra is their toughest opponent. So they haven't, they really haven't played anyone even close to as good as Duke. They haven't played players with the talent, with the size, with the skill that Duke has. Their strength of schedule, according to the RPI, was 159. Ken Pomeroy had their strength of schedule also somewhere around 150. They just, they have not, and it's not at 150 like they played a lot of bad teams and a few good teams. They, they didn't play anyone good. That's just, that bottom line, that's it. So I, I, I think... They don't know what they're getting in for against Duke. And I think, you know, it could be it's really, strange. really, it could be tough for them. Wait, one thing I want to point out, and then I'll toss it back to you. Yeah, um, you. You mentioned, you know, a lot of these guys are from the UNC area. Uh, from I'm sorry, from the North Carolina area, from the state of North Carolina. Uh, this this is yep. one of those schools that plays in the shadow of the ACC, plays in the shadow of, of Duke and UNC and to a lesser extent, Wake Forest, NC State. Um and one of these schools that, you know, I'm sure that when they look at the Wilmington newspaper after their game, they, they always notice that there's more attention played to paid to UNC's game and Duke's game than their game in their own hometown newspaper. These guys are going to be geeked up to play one of the schools that they feel like, you know, they should get a chance to play, that they feel like, that you know, they should compete with. The, the, for them, they're going to Providence to play a team that's right next door. That's one of their next door rivals, even though Duke knows nothing about them. So I worry about a game like that. I think they will be really, really geeked up, even more so than what you would usually see for a double-digit seed getting their chance against a legendary team like Duke. So I, I think the, on the on the schedule, go ahead. it's a little weird that um, I say it's a little weird that their schedule is so bad, given how many good uh, basketball schools there are in the vicinity of UNC Wilmington, right? Um, yeah, you know, yeah. There, there are obviously four ACC schools in in North Carolina. Um, not to mention other, you know, uh, regular participants. Like in that in that same region, you've got Virginia and Virginia Tech. Um, you have Davidson. They don't play um, Clemson, and, and and you would think that UNC Wilmington would have the opportunity to play these schools, especially given that it's they're in the UNC system. So you'd think that NC State and you and UNC Chapel Hill would figure out how to play them, um, but they didn't, they didn't play any of those teams, which is it's it's so weird um, in a state that loves basketball so much. One of those schools didn't play any of the other. And in the other competitive schools. Yeah, so think- and, and so I'll tell you, sorry, really quick. Um, like their record against the, the bottom 150 of the RPI, I mean, the uh, sorry, the bottom 200 of the RPI was 12 and three. They lost three games to teams that are ranked outside the RPI. They lost to East Carolina, Radford, and Towson. They lost to Towson by 16 points. Towson. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll get up. They'll, I know I said they're going to get up and they're going to be geeked up and everything like that. And they've got a puncher's chance and they shoot a lot of threes. And yes, but man, they, they just haven't played anything like Duke. And they don't have. Well, and, and I think the thing that that really stands in the way of of guessing how they would beat Duke is that there isn't one thing that they are particularly good at. Right. They're not a particularly. Right. Well, they score. They score a bunch of points, but they're really inefficient. Um, they don't necessarily get a ton of rebounds. They don't shoot particularly well from any part of the court. Um, and they're and, not a bad shooting. Up, wait, wait. You know, they're, they're not a bad shooting right. team, but they're not a bad. But they're not a great shooting team. They're not, and they're certainly not a great shooting right. team from three. They got a lot of guys who hit about thirty-five percent of their threes. Right. So, so, so there's nothing. There's nothing that, that jumps out. Although that doesn't mean that you know Bonzi Colson's going to show up for them uh, in the form of say you know Chris Flemings and just go totally yeah. ham yeah. on Duke. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. 
So ESPN does uh, every year when the brackets come out, they do like a 68 to one and they basically give a little blurb about each team that's in the NCAA tournament. So I want to read you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're going to point out, which is a, a huge stat. It's you're a about huge to point stat. Out a it's something stat. that actually will Go. play into our hands. So junior wing Chris Flemings, who made 62.6% of his twos and 37% of his threes, is one of the tidiest scorers you've never heard of. He's one reason the well-rounded Seahawks are a dangerous double-digit seed as long as their habit of sending opponents to the free-throw line, which only West Virginia did more often this season, doesn't rear its ugly head. So there's your key right there. Repeat that again for people so they get that stat because that's a huge stat. They sent uh, – only West Virginia sent more opponents to the free-throw line this season than they did. So what does that mean? That means we need to attack them. Their pressure defense that you were referring to, Jason, that they uh, that was kind of employed at Louisville, that pressure defense, that physical defense – at times, it's sending their opponents to the free throw line where we can convert. We have great free throw shooters in, Brand, in, uh, in um, Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen. So if those guys can attack the lane, they're going to get to the free throw line. They're going to make easy easy points. And that's going to be a way to get uh, not only get their, their biggest guys in foul trouble and their, most, uh, their best rebounders, but also to get us out and get points with no, with no time on the clock. So I think those are pretty, uh, that's a pretty big stat in addition to what you guys have already mentioned. And that, and that therefore, if, you know, if Duke is going to want the ball in, in Grayson Allen and Luke Kennard's hands more, um, that may mean that, that Derek Thornton or Matt Jones has to see a lot more of the bench than they normally would in a game. So Thornton, Thornton um, not Jones. It's going to be Thornton, not Jones. I guarantee you. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, sure. Um, but, but so it, it'll be interesting to see if the, if those other guys, cause Thornton and Jones are obviously the, the better defenders in, on the perimeter. Um, interesting to see who picks up the, the defensive slack, because as I mentioned, you know, they're this whole UNC Wilmington team is built on, on guard play. Um, so the, the, all the guards for Duke are going to have to play defense on them. Um, and, and so we'll see if, you know, if Jones and one of Jones and Thornton are sitting most of the time, um, how Kennard and, and Allen um, handle that challenge. So I hey, want to, we- Go, go, go ahead. I was going to say, should we move on to Yale and Baylor really quick? Yeah, really so quick? I, I want to unpack that just a little bit. We're not looking forward. We're not looking ahead or, or past UNC Wilmington by any stretch. But we do have two other teams in our pot that would mount up for potential second-round matchup. And we want to just briefly highlight those before unpacking the bracket as a whole. So uh, we have Yale and we have Baylor. Um, Yale, their first time in the tournament in decades. Uh, and Baylor is one of those teams that is, is very athletic, very physical, uh, and can rebound, rebound the ball well. Uh, Jason, what do, you, what do you take from those two teams uh, into a potential matchup? Well, first of all, I think their first round matchup is going to be really, really interesting because they are two teams that both do the same thing really well. They both rebound really, really well. I mean, Baylor is led by senior Rico Gathers, who is 275 pounds of rebounding studliness. I mean, the, the guy just, he sucks up uh, offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds. He, he's he's a really, really, he's just a physically very, very strong player for for Baylor. And Yale, on the other hand, even though they aren't necessarily huge, they don't have a ton of size, they hit the board so well as a team. They're, 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 they're one of the best, they're probably the best rebounding team we've seen from the Ivy in many, many years. They have three different guys in that team that average more than seven rebounds a game. Um, you know, so that's, uh, th- these are two teams that are, are their strength plays into each other. So it's going to be really interesting to see. By the way, uh, regarding Yale, uh, we haven't talked about it on the podcast, but people should know there's been a huge, huge controversy about the Yale basketball team because uh, about uh, a month ago, I think it was, um, the captain of the team, senior guard Jack Montague, was kicked off the team and kicked out of school. And, the, you know, in the interest of privacy, the school tried to keep it quiet at least initially, but um, it's it sort of come out that that he was apparently at least accused of involved in a sexual assault of some kind. Um, and there was controversy because at first when he was kicked out of school, um, and again, this is a, this guy's a senior who's about to graduate from Yale and he was kicked out of school. Um, his teammates all sort of came out and said, we support you, Jack. We're with, you know, we love you, Jack. And the Yale community went crazy on them because um, I think people sort of knew that this was because Montague might have done something to a to a woman, and um, and and there were huge protests on the Yale campus. Um, so this is sort of interestingly, this is the best Yale team <laughs> um, in generations, 
and they are also to some extent um, hated um, or at least disliked and not not popular on on campus because of this sort of incident involving the captain and their support for him. Now the Yale team, the Yale players have since sort of backed off of some of that um, because they recognize that, you know, maybe it's not the best thing to be supporting a guy who might be accused of sexual assault. Um, but it's been, uh, you know, it's been sort of a dominant. A camp, particularly the campus like, like I was going to say particularly yeah, yeah. on campus like Yale. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but it's, it's interesting to note that their play hasn't fallen off as a team um, without Montague, they're still playing very, very good basketball, admittedly playing against the Ivy League. So, you know, it's hard to say how good they really are. Um, uh, but but it's going to be really interesting to watch the game. And one other thing I would add about this game, and then I'll talk to you guys to talk more about Baylor and Yale. This is essentially a home game for Yale. Providence? Providence fr- from yep. from Yale? Mm-hmm. I, I, I checked out Google Maps. It's an hour and a half drive. And Google Maps says that Yale only has to make like five or six total turns. Like they turn once and they get on I-95 and then they turn once or twice and they get off I-95 in Providence and they're at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. So this is like a home game for them. And for Baylor, Baylor's coming from a time zone over. They're coming, you know, they're, they're coming from way down there in Texas. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a haul for them. So um, Yale, even though they are the, the, the 12 seed, the lowest seed, this is right in their backyard. And um uh, you know, could be it could be an interesting little dynamic there. It's going to be a very interesting first round game. Um, and but the important thing to note is, you know, Duke's biggest problem Duke has had this year has been rebounding, and teams that rebound against us. And both of these teams are good rebounding teams, and especially Rico Gathers and the Baylor Bears are, you know, would probably try to pound us to death on the boards. So that's although, all I got on those guys. Although Duke, although Duke crushed Yale earlier in the season, I believe, right? I'm sorry. Say that again. Uh, that, that happened. Duke did crush Yale in a in a game in Cameron Indoor earlier this season. That did so happen did. earlier this season. Helpful. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so hope hope for the upset there. Yeah. Right. Although we <laughs> although we are playing in their backyard. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. It, uh, the Baylor's a Baylor's a tough team and comes from arguably the best conference in the country. So uh, I, I'm, you know, I I respect Yale. I think that they obviously had a nice season. Um, they won the the only conference that, at least for the time being, doesn't have a conference tournament. Although I think I saw news that they are going to be the Ivy is going to be adding a conference tournament. So uh, as far as the like mid major and low major schools go, the most legitimate um, you know automatic bid is the one that comes from the Ivy League. And and Yale, yeah, like, I think it's like in the 30s in Ken Palm. Yeah, they're they're 38th in Ken Palm. Um, so they're not, not you know they're not a joke of a team. They're so uh, this Yale team is not a joke, um, but Baylor's obviously very strong, and uh, I, I think even even ending up as a five seed might even be a little bit of an underperformance for them, given given what kind of talent they have. I think that just speaks to how good the, uh, the Big Twelve is. So um, either of those either of those teams is going to be a tough matchup, although obviously I'd rather play Yale. Yeah, and I think with the with these two teams, like you said, rebounding, uh, you focus in on the fact that you know both Yale and Baylor are one you know two of the best rebounding teams in the country, but Yale also has one of the best defenses in the country. And, you know, most people are rating them high and, and on the defensive end uh, with their efficiency and also just, you know, their tenacity to, uh, you know, hold their team, hold their opponents uh, to little point totals. So uh, those are going to be interesting matchups. I think, it, like you both said, it's an interesting matchup in itself, the two teams um, with all the dynamics of, of Baylor, um, you know, flying from, you know, basically from Waco. So it's, you know, about two, about 1500 miles. Yale has to basically be on a bus for an hour and a half. And they're going to come with a lot of fans as well. Even with the, with, with the controversy, there's still been a lot of, uh, of support for this team. Even in, in, in spite of that, there may not have been from the students. And that's where a lot of the protests for uh, the basketball team came from. Uh, but definitely from the, the, the fans in the community and alums of the team, um, especially the fact that they're, in their mind, they're witnessing history. It's a team that uh, is their best team in generations, as you said. And this is the school's fourth tournament appearance in 120 years. So they're, they'll be itching to go. They'll be ready for Baylor. And, and both these teams uh, are going to, uh, you know, what some people are, you know, looking at bracketology, a lot of people are picking Baylor uh, over us because of the fact that we have a quick turnaround. Um, it'll be, you know, a two-day t- or a one-day full, full rest. Uh, one of the stats that they uh, came out with was uh, we are we have a four day or more uh, layoff 
we are six and zero this season. When we have one day of rest or less, we are four and two. So obviously, you know, with these tournaments being, you know, Thursday, Saturday, um, uh, for the Providence uh, Pod, what does that mean? That means that you know the the thing is going to be about depth. And if Baylor and Yale can use their depth, use their size, then we are going to have a hard time, especially with tired legs. So let's hope that uh, one of these teams, or let's hope that these teams go to overtime. That'd be great as well. Um, but also the fact that I like the fact that we are the first game of the pod because that's two hours extra rest that we will have on uh, the other teams. So here's to, yeah. here's to 15 total minutes of Chase Jeter and Sean Obi in the first game. Exactly. And that means we're up by 30, and, and I will take that every single day. Right, not because of foul trouble. <laughs> no, no, because we're, because we're blowing out. Hey, basically, I want, it where, I want it where in old CBS days that they would switch from our game to a more competitive game. That's what, that's what we want to see on Thursday. I'm rooting for Nick Pagliuca to score. Nick Pagliuca needs to score. That's cool. That's cool with me. He can score 12. He can, he can go for double digits. <laughs> all I care. Uh, so let's, I you know. dunks. Yeah, all dunks. <laughs> so let's, all, let's finally get into the bracket as a whole. There's a lot to unpack in this bracket. We probably could talk about this for an hour. But I want to highlight a couple things first, uh, mainly the ACC teams that did make the tournament. UNC and UVA are both one seeds, UNC being in the East, UVA in the Midwest. Notre Dame is a six seed in the East, and Miami is a three seed in the South. And the two teams that were quote-unquote on the bubble, Pitt and Syracuse, both, in a surprise, silently made the tournament. Pitt as a 10 seed in the East, and Syracuse as a 10 seed in the Midwest. The ACC, Big 12, Big 10, and Pac-12 all had seven teams make the big dance. The Big East with five the American Conference with four, the Atlantic 10 with three. The SEC only got three teams in, leaving a couple on the bubble uh, or, or out of the tournament, and the Missouri Valley had two. What does this mean? It, it looks like, and I mean, you guys, I, I want to get your take on this. It looks like that they rated the ACC the best conference in college basketball this year, and, and, and that in the Big 12, um, and you can toss up between the two, but I think that affected a lot of these seedings that are out here. Um, you know, the fact that you know, Miami's a three in the South. I think that's, you know, about where they were slated to be. We were slated to be about a four or five. But Pitt and Syracuse, for basically the last two weeks, they've been talking about them wanting either the last four in or one of the first four out. And they were both silently in, and they weren't even in the playing games. So I think that is a testament to – and the fact is they played each other in the ACC tournament, so there was nothing to gain from that, especially Syracuse, who lost to Pitt three times – uh, over the season and also started the first seven or, or seven or eight games uh, without Jim Beheim because of the sanctions that came down last season, which is why they didn't, weren't in the uh, tournament last season. So uh, I'll kick it to Sam first. What do you see from all this, not just the ACC, but the, the tournament at, at large, because there is a lot of, in my opinion, there was a lot of seeding uh, uh, question marks or seeding surprises uh, coming out of this bracket. Yeah, I think that the, the most interesting area is that top half of the East where you've got Kentucky, Indiana, Providence, and UNC. All, only one of those teams is going to be able to make, uh, make the Elite Eight. Um, and only those are, are four good make, teams. Uh, yeah, those are, those are four really good teams. Um, yeah. They're all four teams they're playing. All that is a monster you could have made, you could have, Yeah, you could, you could make really good cases for any of those teams early in the season to have like been one and two seeds and, and made the championship game. So um, that's going to be a really hard. Indiana hard area. won the big. Wait, wait. Um, uh, let's hold, hold on a second. North Carolina won the ACC. Indiana won the regular season, the Big Ten. Kentucky won the SEC. That's a monster bracket. That and, Indiana, and, and, Kentucky, and, 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 Kentucky, and all four teams in the top ten. Kentucky came in second one. place in the SEC regular season. And right, right, right. It's not like anyone thinks season. that yeah. Kentucky is less talented than than Texas A&M. Right, they won the tournament, but they they lost the regular season. It's not like anyone thinks that Texas A&M is definitively better than Kentucky. Right. So yeah, yeah. Um, your, your point, point is well taken, that, that all those teams are good. Um, and so I, I hope just for the sake of, of watching good basketball that all four of those teams at least win their first games so that we can get those matchups. Um, elsewhere, I, I think, Donald, as you said, the ACC did really well. Um, happy that, that Pittsburgh and Syracuse, both teams who, who managed to beat Duke, um, made it into the tournament solid. So that I saw going around, which is that, um, Kansas ended up as the number one overall seed, and they and they got the South region, which means that they, uh, if they make it to the Sweet 16 and then the Elite Eight, they play in Louisville. 
um, and they were not placed into the Midwest region in Chicago. Uh, that that went to UVA, who I think was the the fourth number one seed or the third number. No, one they were the third. They were the third. Um, and I know they were the third ahead of Oregon. Um, so it was. I think that was interesting that um, that Kansas got sent to Louisville instead of to Chicago because I would think um, that Kansas would much prefer to end up in Chicago rather than Louisville, um, especially given that Louisville will be filled with fans from all of the schools in that vicinity. Obviously, Louisville is not in the tournament, but you have Kentucky fans in the area, you have Indiana fans in the area, Ohio State, like all these other schools that are in that area um, that have passionate fan bases. So uh, as opposed to as opposed to Chicago, which I think doesn't have quite that um, that specific regional like allegiance to basketball, um, you'd think that more Kansas fans would be able to, to get themselves to games in Chicago than games in Louisville. But um, such is the way uh, the way that things work out. I don't think that Kansas got an especially tough draw. So, um, you know, they're going to have to play one of Maryland or Cal, who are both really strong. Um, but they got to be happy that <laughs> Maryland and Cal are not Indiana and Kentucky, who I think are both like a little bit better. Um, Maryland obviously has underperformed. So, uh, and then, and then looking at Duke's region in the West, um, you know, there, there are interesting teams, obviously with Oregon and, and with Oklahoma who features perhaps the player of the year and buddy healed. Um, so the, the uh, and then I didn't really talk much about the Midwest, um, the Midwest bracket. The only notable thing that I would point out for myself is that that's where all the Denver games are. So uh, I'm going to get to see some, uh, some exciting games like Purdue and Arkansas little rock and Utah versus Fresno State. Um, so uh, kind of bummed about that. Wish I could have gotten like a like one really marquee game in there, but I'm sure that I'm sure that one of them will end up being a you know exciting buzzer beater. Um, so I can't complain too much. That's kind of my that, that that's my full take on the uh, on on looking at this bracket. The East is hard um, and uh, and everything else is is kind of as as you as you see it um, could could go either way. So before I kick it to you, Jason, I, I wanted to point out a couple things that I thought were, were eye-openers. One, Michigan State is not a one seed in this bracket, and I think that is basically a reflection of how the committee viewed the Big Ten this season. Uh, you know, there was the fact that Oregon, uh, who most people had slotted to be in, a two, in the two seed, uh, ended up getting the one, the, the last number one over Michigan State. Uh, you also have UVA, who, you know, uh, all, you know, all ACC bias aside, didn't win the regular season in the ACC, didn't win the tournament, but still got a one seed. And Michigan State, uh, while they didn't win the regular season in the Big Ten, did win the tournament. Maybe this is also a testament to the fact that the Big Ten tournament ended about 15 minutes before the selection show happened. And the brackets were basically, it seems like the brackets were basically set uh, before uh, before that game started. And they just went with what what happened, uh, went with what they had before the game started, and it didn't really affect their seeding, which had them at a two line. The other thing that I saw that was, you know, against, goes against what a lot of the bracketology had, had hinted at during the season was that Villanova, who normally plays their games at the Wells Fargo Center, did not do that this year because they wanted a chance to end up in Philadelphia in the East Regional. Uh, they did not do that. They ended up in the South. So that is obviously a big blow to them. Um, they were hoping that they'd be able to, you know, travel about, you know, 15 minutes uh, to Wells Fargo Center uh, in a East Regional, which would have been heavily, they would have been heavily favored at that point. But they have to travel away from home. Um, if they get to the Sweet 16, they'll be doing it in the South Region in Louisville. So I thought those were two different ones. Also, there's a couple seating areas that, again, harping on the fact that while they let in a lot of Big Ten teams, they didn't really rate them high, highly. Um, Iowa who led the Big Ten for a lot of the season, was rated as a seventh seed. Um, that was one that, that struck out, struck my eye at me. And also, Oklahoma City might have the most exciting pod in history because you have Oklahoma, who is a two seed, and on the other side of that, you have Texas, who could face Texas A&M in a round of 32 matchup. So if you were a Big 12 person, then you have three teams – who were in the old Big 12 that are in that pod. I think Oklahoma City will probably be the hottest ticket of all these pods uh, this week. But that is my take. Jason, what's yours? Well, you, you stole me. The, the Texas, Texas A&M, I mean, oh, my goodness. <laughs> if that happens, um, that would be huge, just huge. Uh, uh, you know, after Texas A&M fled the Big 12 to the SEC for for the money of the SEC a few years ago, um, uh, that, 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 that is clearly the round of 16 matchup, um, that and Indiana, Kentucky are the two 
sorry, not six, uh, not Sweet 16, round of 32. Um, Texas, Tech, uh, Texas and Texas A&M and Indiana, Kentucky are the two round of 32 matchups that everyone's going to be looking forward to. That said, they probably both of them probably won't happen now. There'll be an upset or something like that. Speaking of upsets, so I looked really quickly. I've picked out two fairly lowly low seeded teams that I'm going to pick. Um, I'm going to take Gonzaga in the Midwest as an 11 seed to beat Seton Hall. Um, 11 over six. That's a pretty good upset. Uh, I like Gonzaga's yeah, and, size. And, and Seton Hall's probably kind of fake. Yeah, yeah. Seton Hall sort of shot their wad winning the Big East. Um, and then the other one I like, South Dakota State over Maryland. There's always going to be a 12-5. <laughs> There's always going to be a 12-5. I like South Dakota State. You might Dakota as well State pick that Maryland. one. <laughs> well, and you, you know why? I mean, is there a team that has underachieved more this year than Maryland? Maryland was preseason top three, weren't they? Top two, yeah, top three? They were five seed. Yeah, they're a five seed, and, and it's not like you go, oh, they were robbed. They should have been a three or a four. No, five's about where they belonged. They didn't have a very good year. They have tried trouble coming together as a team. Mellow Trimble, who's supposed to – Mellow Trimble was on preseason All-American lists. Mellow Trimble, did he, like, make even third team All-Big Ten? I don't think so. Um, uh, anyway, Maryland's had a very disappointing season, I think, um, and I could, yeah, I could definitely see them looking past South Dakota State. Um, I'll tell you the other thing. I sort of looked at, I tried to sort of really, really quickly, and I haven't given it a lot of thought yet, sort of sketch who I think is going to be in the final eight, final four kind of thing. Um, and, and you know, like everybody, I, I come down to the top seeds because I'm, I'm, I follow the pack in that way. Um, I really like Kansas's uh, road. I, I think, you know, they, they could have a tough second round game, but but I, I like them, whether it's Maryland, California, whoever it may be that they play in the Sweet 16. I like Kansas. And then I actually think Kansas is going to get Miami. Um, and I think uh, Kansas will be able to take care of Miami. So I, I really like Kansas to make the final four. Whoever wins the UNC, I think UNC and Kentucky will play each other in the Sweet 16. Whoever wins that game is absolutely going to beat Xavier or West Virginia, Wisconsin, whoever, whoever the heck it is that comes out of the bottom half of the East. Um, so I'll say the winner of UNC Kentucky makes the final four. I love Virginia. Uh, in fact, I'm probably going to pick Virginia to win the whole thing. I, I just love Virginia right now. Um, and I don't, I don't see anyone who's going to give them a ton of trouble. I think that Virginia has faded in the tournament in recent years, um, relative to how good they've been. And I think this is the year Malcolm Brogdon's senior season. This is the year they're finally going to do it. Um, and I'm not going to pick the West because if I was picking with my heart, I would pick Duke. And if I'm picking with my head, I would pick Oklahoma. And, and I, so I'm not going to pick it. <laughs> so but another, that, another stat that uh, I wanted to, another stat I wanted to throw out real quick. Um, you know, you're looking at these first four matchups and, you know, a lot of people talked about uh, Vanderbilt and Wichita State. Probably a lot of people thought they were solidly in the tournament and they're one of the play-in games. Uh, the other one of the uh, non-16 seeds being Michigan and Tulsa. So I have Wichita State probably giving Arizona a really hard time, and I think they could probably win that game. Uh, but I think the, the one thing that I wanted to say was um, with these teams, they said since 2011, since we expanded and had the first four, there has been one uh, of those playing game teams each year that has gone on to win multiple games. Uh, you know, the first year VCU went all the way to the final four. So don't understate the, uh, the fact that Wichita state, Vanderbilt, Michigan, Tulsa, uh, or, you know what, even, you know, Holy cross and Southern, they, they might be able to give <laughs> Oregon a hard time. They may, they're not going to win, but they could give no, them a hard time. No, but those no. teams are going to have the, the pressure and the nervous, the nervousness of being in the tournament off of their back when they get to this final 64 field. So I think that is going to be something to keep in mind. And I think that's where uh, maybe one of these upsets can happen. Uh, but Sam, Let's go, go P. Austin P, baby. You're, not talk you're talking about 16 seats. You're going to talk about Austin P? I'd like to see uh, uh, Dunk City uh, take out you. I was going to say, I can't believe we've made it this far without talking about Dunk City. Hopefully, Florida uh, Gulf Coast. Taking, Come on, Dunk down, City. Taking down Fairleigh Dickinson and then, and then hopefully also taking down North Carolina. Look, let me just say this. To all of you guys out there, if there is a listener that went to Florida Gulf Coast or Fairleigh Dickinson, if you beat UNC, I will buy a jersey from your school in celebration. I'm putting that out there. So no pressure, but uh, I'd like to spend some money on your school come Thursday or Friday. So why don't you go out there, let it all hang out and, and beat UNC. How about you do that for the rest of America and especially for us?
Hey guys, we've heard it over and over yeah. again this year. There, there has never been a season, never in history has there been a season where top five, top 10 teams lost as many games as they did this year. There's never been a season where top five teams lost as many games to unranked teams as they did this year. Never in history. So and, maybe and, this and is finally the year that is 16 I think what? during this election show, they were saying that this is the most number of losses that a uh, that, that, that the like top most total losses the by the collective um, number one seats had uh, going into the tournament. So, yeah, yeah you're right. Um, crazy stuff is going to happen. Uh, Anything can happen. I mean, crazy stuff happens every year and it's going to be more, even more this year. So I am looking forward to that. Uh, I, I was going to go back to something that Jason was talking about, about where to pick Duke and, and picking with your head versus picking with your heart. Normally, when I fill out my brackets, I have to win the championship because, you know, one seed, two seed, like you can always justify it. Um, the last time I didn't pick Duke was uh, was in 07, obviously with the, the team that was a six seed that lost to VCU in the first round. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm I'm up in the air about this one. Uh, you, you could you could talk me into Duke going to the Final Four, especially with the draw that they got. Um, you could also talk me into Duke losing in the round of 32 and uh, and and not even really being super upset about it because Baylor has enough talent that you know whatever uh, we'll get them next year. So I'm I'm a little bummed about that. I'm also I wanted to um, take a a bit of um, uh, a bit of uh, difference, I guess, from Jason's opinion, which is that he thinks that Virginia is going to the Final Four. Um, man, picking against Michigan State is just not a good idea. Um, Michigan don't, State don't pick against in Chicago Michigan. is a terrible idea. Like that, that picking don't, against them is a terrible idea know. in Chicago, at least in my opinion. Look at, look at their draw. I mean, like Utah's good, um, but like Seton Hall is their six. Uh, who like on on their side before they get to the elite eight? I don't think anyone's going to beat Michigan State. Like they're gonna they're gonna waltz into the into the elite eight, I think. Um, and by the time they get there, Virginia may have had may have had a hard game or two. Um, so who knows? But but man, picking against Michigan State is bold because um, it seems like they get to the final four like every single year. Now they're gonna lose in the final four. That that's also a part of the, the Michigan State mystique. Um, they they will lose in the final four, but they'll get there. Um, They'll get there, and they, and they are happy to beat Virginia on the way because they did it last year. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Michigan State-Virginia will be a war. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. those are two teams. Ugly, those two teams go – They do not know what, what um, you know, giving quarter means. I mean, those guys, they, they I mean, play wanna, so hard. I, I do want to watch the – I do want to watch the matchup between Denzel Valentine and Malcolm Brogdon. I think that's going to be a lot yes. of fun. Oh, God. It'll, yeah. That game, if, if it got to the Elite Eight, and it was UVA, Michigan State, to borrow uh, a quote from uh, uh, your, man, your boy Kenny Smith, it would be one of the most captivizing 40-40 to 40 games you will ever see in the NCAA tournament. Amen. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you something. So, I mean, we talked about, oh, you know, we really want to see Indiana play Kentucky, and, and we want to see Kentucky play UNC, you know, some of these matchups we want. I think there's no matchup that I want as much as I want to see Virginia play Michigan State. Yeah, which they did last year. So, right. it, on top of the fact that it's an interesting matchup to begin with, it's also a revenge game for Virginia. Uh, and a lot of the, I think, uh, Brogdon's a senior, right? Is Perrant as a senior? Uh, they, like, Virginia has a few seniors on the team who've uh, been on these very competitive Virginia teams the last few years and have failed to make the Final Four. So, I am sure that they are hungry for it. Um, yeah, th- th- those will be good games. I'm, I, I, I will echo that statement. I am looking forward to the potential Virginia-Michigan State Elite Eight game. Uh, hey, so- guys, I, I, I've, got a, I've got a thought. I, I, I sort of think – I don't want to talk about the ACC tournament. I, I think, let's, I think okay. we should get let's – get let's wrap this stuff up. We've been almost an hour, um, and uh, I, I just think everyone's focused. Everything is on what's ahead of us, the NCAA tournament. That's what the whole year is about. Um, and and that's where we that's what we're pushing toward. That's fine. But before we do, I want to wrap up with two things. One, I want your final four predictions. But before we do that, first, Sam, before we we were uh, doing the rundown for this, you had a quirky little uh, question that you want to throw at us. So I want you to do that. Oh sure. Um, the question I wanted to pose to you guys, and I and I did give you fair warning, so you could at least try to think about it. Is if Duke's not going to win this tournament, which let's face it, Duke's a four seed. Um, four seeds don't often win the tournament. If Duke's not going to win this tournament, which team are you rooting for? And you can kind of pick any reason that you're rooting for them to win this tournament. Um, it could be a funny reason. It could be a particular player you like. Anything. Um, so I'll start with Donald. If Duke's not going to win this tournament, you would prefer for it to be. 
Uh, I guess if it was uh, not Duke, um, I would prefer it to be uh, Miami. That is my alma mater. I will go with that as the the easy pick. But right. another team yeah. that I thought would be very, very interesting to get to the Final Four, uh, and I'm looking at the bracket right now, Butler. That's it. Okay. Butler. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia. Tough road, um, but 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 we I guess we feel positively about Butler, right? Yeah, why not? Uh, all they've done is lay down and, and lose for us, so um, we can root for them. All right, Jason, who if Duke can't win the tournament, who would you rather it be? I want it to be UVA. I want Virginia. Um, I, I, I you okay. know I, I talked about how much I like them, um, just in terms of picking them as a uh, as a team who I think can win. But I admire the way they play basketball. I, I admire their coach and and how hard he plays. Um, or how hard he gets his players to play it and, and the way he coaches them. I, I admire his conduct after um, what can only be described as a controversial loss to Duke. Um, I thought, you know, UVA handled it really, really well. And, and there was no sour grapes whatsoever. And, and they, they certainly could have had some. Um, so I, and, and I feel like, I think I said this earlier, they've been really good for several years now. Um, and they just haven't been able to get over the hump and have a big run in the NCAA tournament, which is sort of be the, that's the one thing missing on their, on, on the recent UVA resurgence resume. And, and I hope, I think this is the year for them. So I'll, I'll go last, obviously, because you guys have already gone. Um, I enjoyed both of your picks. I was trying to think of a team that is not like in Duke's conference so that I'm not trying to say, oh, I want to root for the ACC or something. And I didn't want to make it too Duke specific, but it ended up being a little Duke specific because I'm going with Indiana. Uh, if Indiana wins the tournament, it means that they probably had to beat Kentucky and North Carolina along the way. So that's good. It means that both Kentucky and North Carolina aren't ending up in the final four, which is a place that, you know, Duke fans would rather not see them. Um, Duke obviously beat Indiana this year. They get the small feather in the cap that they beat the eventual national champions, although it was um, in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And there's there's a weird – I don't know how much you guys see of this. Um, I feel like I pick it up when I when I read about national college basketball things or or listen to other college basketball podcasts. Um, there's a very strange relationship between Indiana head coach Tom Crean and the Indiana Hoosier faithful, right? Because Indiana is obviously – the top, you know, four, five, six programs of all time. They've got, they're right up at the top of the list in wins and, and championships. They obviously have one of the most iconic coaches in Bob Knight. Um, so it's, it's a program that has very high expectations. And when they hired Tom Crean, I think there was a lot of excitement about how well he could do. He obviously took Marquette to a final four with Dwayne Wade. Um, and since then, there's, he's sure. sort of underperformed in that they haven't like, they haven't like made it to the final four. They haven't, they haven't won a national championship, but they've won some big 10 regular seasons. Um, they've been very competitive every year. They obviously had that one uh, super fun win in, uh, in assembly hall against Kentucky a few years ago when Watford made the, uh, the three pointer at the buzzer. Um, so I think I kind of enjoy the, the theater of, of the Tom Crean experience. And it would just be, I feel like it would be really entertaining to see them, you know, upset a couple other blue bloods along the way. Um, and win a national championship so that, so that the Indiana fans would be like, wait a minute, we, uh, we have to like Tom Crean now. Um, so I am, I, if it's not going to be Duke, I am going to pick Indiana. I can't be mad at that. But uh, all right, now we've, we've stewed on it a little bit. We've got a chance to look at the brackets. Your initial ones, of course, these can change before you guys enter your, your bracket uh, challenges. I'm going to start with you, Jason. Give me your final four picks as you see them. People are going to hate me. Uh, do I have to do this? People are going to hate me. Hey, this, this Just do it. It comes with a job. Just do it. Oh, Kansas, UNC, Virginia, Oklahoma. Okay. That's a mostly chalk bracket there. I, yeah. And, uh, I, but, yeah. but you know what? Chalk, chalk tends to win the pools. So that's uh, true. It's and, and, and I'll say this. I, I think, right. I think Kansas and UNC are playing great great basketball right now. I mean, uh, yes, it's been a year of a ton of parody and all this other stuff. Uh, those two, I think those two teams have, ha, you know, have, have hit their stride at the right moment. Um, uh, I think Virginia's due. I, I think th there's tr tremendous randomness in a one and done tournament. And the randomness has, has gotten Virginia out of the tournament earlier than it should have several times in recent years. And so I think they're sort of due to have one that works out for them. And um, I love picking seniors in the NCAA tournament. So Buddy Heal, Buddy Heal is uh, 
you know, that's that's who I'm going with out of the West. I think Oklahoma's the best team in the West. So uh, so that's what I got. And, and winning it all, I have Kansas. Sam? All right. Um, we said this is going to be a big parody year. Um, so I am, and because our picks don't matter, we're not paying professionals. Um, although it'd be nice to be a paid professional in this, in this field. Um, I am going to, I'm going to go with parody. Uh, so in the South region, uh, give me university of California to upset, uh, Kansas in the, I guess the sweet 16, um, in the East regional, the really tough one, uh, take Indiana because that's the team that I told you, uh, I am rooting for if Duke doesn't make it in the West region. Give me Duke because that's my team. And I might as well be a homer about one of these picks. And in the Midwest, uh, we'll go with old, reliable Michigan State. So I'm taking no one seeds. I've got uh, two fours and a five and a and a two. Um, so Cal, Indiana, Duke, and Michigan State. And mine, I, I only take one uh, one seed. I take Kansas out of the South. Of course, I got our Blue Devils out of the West. I got Indiana in the East, and I got Sparty out of the Midwest. So uh, a couple of picks that a lot of people probably will have but you know what sometimes you gotta like as you said you gotta go with uh your gut and you gotta go with the teams that you think you're gonna make it one thing i do think that w- when i'm making these picks that i'm gonna fall back on is coaching uh in a year of such parity i think the coaches that are the best are gonna be the ones that can get their teams further in the tournament um there's not gonna be a lot of uh, uh times where people are going to be out coached in this tournament this year um i think the parity will will kind of level that out but uh uh, that's why i'm kind of going with these teams these teams have some pretty decent coaches uh you know bill self uh uh, coach k of course Izzo, um the month of Izzo, is as they say in michigan uh and tom crean has something to prove and i think uh indiana is playing at a at a level that uh could get them there especially if they get past unc then they're gonna have the world on their shoulders and they're gonna know that they can do just about anything uh and of course i have duke winning because I always have Duke winning. That's that's the easy part. All I got to do is fill the rest of the bracket in. Uh, and, but and hey, if you're looking at that, if you're looking at that East Regional, by the time the one team comes out of the top area there, um, don't be surprised if that team is exhausted from having to play so many tough games, and then that team or or you know one of those teams to for one of those guys to make it to the Final Four. Like even it, it, it honestly wouldn't even surprise me if Wisconsin made it to the final four. Yeah. Um, if they just, if they got to cakewalk through, through that side of the bracket, or if any of those teams got to cakewalk through that side of the bracket and play, you know, short rest against a beaten up UNC team or a beaten up Kentucky team or a beaten up Indiana team. Um, I like the East may, may, as they say, cannibalize itself and, and produce like a, a really wacky um, final four entrant. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, so since we're not doing the ACC tournament, I think we can, uh, I think we want to go over season predictions very quickly, or do we want to hold that off for next week? Why don't we wait till the season's I, over? I would rather. Yeah, I would wait until the season's over. I feel like not that the not that the uh, like leaders in any of the things are gonna are gonna come are gonna change very much between now and then, but we might as well wait because we get six more games to play. That's great. I, I can I can accommodate that. So guys, we will hold that off until about the second or third week in April. What do you say? Works for sure. me. Let's do that. All right, all right. Let's go to parting shots. Uh, I will start with you, Sam. Do you have a party chat? Um, I, I mentioned before that I'm going to the to the games here in Denver. I'm obviously bummed that Duke's not going to be here, although I am happy that Duke is staying on the East Coast and getting to go play in Providence. Um, so uh, looking forward to going to some NCAA tournament games this year, even if my team's not playing in them. Um, they It does overlap, so Duke is hopefully Thursday, Sunday, and, and the Denver games are also Thursday, Sunday, so I'm going to have to manage the, the game times a little bit. Um, but uh, Denver will be I'm late. Really excited Denver will be late. Yeah, Denver games like, will be late. Uh, yeah. Well, they, yeah, they should be. Let's see. Uh, looks like the first game starts at two p.m. So uh, I'll I'll have to like be late to the first game, uh, but I'll but I'll get to see all of them. So um, so yeah, I'm excited for that. Going to going to the opening weekend of the tournament is obviously great. I mean, it's it's fun obviously to watch it at a bar or watch it at home, um, but to be there and get the excitement, I think, is going to be really cool. So uh, if you are at the Pepsi Center um, and you want to, like, show up and wear a Ducat, uh, I'll be around. So come say hi. Jason. So I have a brush with greatness that has nothing to do with the NCAA tournament, but you just got to hear this story. So my son um, went to get his hair cut yesterday. And like he often does, he was wearing a Duke T-shirt. 
And the woman who's cutting his hair says, oh, are you a fan of Duke? And he says, yes. And she goes, my son goes to Duke. And he goes, oh, really? That's kind of cool. She said, yeah, he plays football. My son went, really? She said, he's Devon Edwards. Have you heard of him? And my son's like, <laughs> my son is such a huge, such a huge Devon Edwards fan. Because, uh, you know, he was sitting with me watching the game a couple years ago when, when Edwards had the three touchdowns off of three different returns. And, you know, just crazy game for him. Yeah. And so my son got his hair cut by Devon Edwards' mother. And afterwards, she handed him a signed poster, a Duke football poster signed by Devon Edwards and Thomas Sirk. How, so. many, how, many, how many signed Devon Edwards posters does she have in her workplace? <laughs> I don't know, but I bet she can get more. She can easily get more of them. So. That's I was like, awesome. That's, that's a, so cool. That's a great story. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah. So, and, um, and I'll say this: oh, Mrs. Edwards cuts yeah. a mean head of hair. She's a she's a good she's a good barber. Very nice. Well, now I know where to go next time in Atlanta. Need a cut. There you go, baby. Seriously, great clips. Uh, so my part. So my part. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So my parting shot is I want to talk about uh, the Embracing Grace and Allen article that Al Featherstone wrote for DBR. Uh, if you have not read it, it was an incredible article that discussed the uh, embrace between Coach K and Grace and Allen at the end of the Notre Dame game uh, during the ACC tournament and, and everything that was behind that hug. Um, I was at the ACC tournament. I was at every game except for the final. Um, and I know that Grace Nell was taking a lot of abuse. Like during the Notre Dame game, he was booed every single time he even touched the basketball. And sometimes when he even didn't have it. Uh, and throughout the tournament, um, there were these things that they were doing. The ACC during media timeouts would play a highlight of an outstanding play for each team that was playing, you know, that occurred during the year. So, you know, if, if it was Duke Notre Dame, they'd have a Notre Dame highlight from 2016 and then they'd have a Duke highlight. Of course, the Duke highlight, everyone was like a, a, a highlight, you know, a couple of them dunking over, you know, Plumlee or, or like hitting a three or something like that, that saved the, their game. Or it, a couple of times it was them beating us. Um, of course, for our highlight for the year, they decided to play the uh, Grayson Allen buzzer beater against UVA. And all that did was whip the arena into a frenzy and they're booing. They were yelling awful things about him on the concourse. And basically anybody who was wearing Duke blue, they were insulting them as well. Uh, I think the article was fantastic in that it showed that Coach K wanted to make a statement by hugging Grayson Allen as he fouled out of the game. Um, and I think, you know, he wanted to tell everybody who was watching that Grayson Allen was his guy, that he was not the villain that America has painted him, and that he was a warrior throughout that tournament and through the season as well, and doing it with everybody basically yelling and insulting him to his face. So uh, I think it was a great read. If you haven't had a chance to read it, um, please do so. I, I think it's on the front page uh, still of, of uh, DukeBasketballReport.com. Uh, but if not, I believe somebody has linked to it in the uh, forums as well. Um, it's, it's absolutely a fantastic read. Uh, and with that, uh, I also go ahead. I, I, I wanted to add one more thing. You reminded me by bringing up the forums. Um, we we saw a note this week that uh, we had someone who had joined the forum because they started listening to the podcast. Um, if you have found our podcast via iTunes or via Twitter, however you're, however you're listening, however you found us, and you are not on the forums, please come join the discussion. Uh, we, all three of us are, are moderators on the forum. And, and I think the three of us, I, I, I will speak for the others when I say that the only reason that I like moderating is that I, I think that the forum is a great place to talk about Duke basketball. I think that the conversation is usually pretty high quality. And uh, so I encourage everyone, if you're listening here, um, please come join the forum and, and tell us that, that you found it via the podcast and, and participate because we love having the conversation with, with everybody, not just, you know, with the two of us, although the, you know, the, the three of us uh, um, talk to each other a lot. Um, we like talking to everyone else in the community as well. And, and it's worth noting, we get paid a nickel each every time someone comes to the DBR because of the podcast. <laughs> wait, you nickel? <laughs> Dude, wait, wait, you get a nickel? Wait, you get a nickel? I haven't gotten any nickels yet. This must be like a this must be a senior. I think monitor. Jason's getting paid on the fly. He hasn't yeah. he hasn't broken off our yeah. uh, our, our cut. Yeah. Who, Julio is Julio sending I'm... Julio sends me a dime every couple of weeks. And I will and I will take three and a quarter cents of that. There you go. Hey, I'll, I'll even get you. I'll even get you ones that he's not. Uh, I, I was gonna say. I hope. I hope I'm gathering interest on all the money he's not sending me, so that one day he owes me a basketball ticket. <laughs> I, yeah, me too. He owes me. Hey, yeah. I want to. I, I, I want to mention. I want to mention one thing about 
um, Donald's uh, pointing out the embracing Grace and Allen article, which which is a amazing, wonderful, wonderful article. Uh, a lot of people saw that embrace um, and thought that it was Coach K's way of saying goodbye to Grace and Allen at the end of Grace and Allen's ACC career. Um, a lot of people thought that that was a sign that Grace and Allen has already decided to enter the NBA draft, and that this was you know that, that it was an emotional moment as he played his last ACC game. Um, and I think Al Featherstone does a good job in that article of talking about, no, it was about Coach K showing love for a guy who's got nothing but hassled and nothing but painted as a villain and all these other, you know, terrible things, um, uh, you know, in recent weeks uh, and, and who has had to bear the brunt of that while also playing every single second of every single game and, and being the focus of everything that Duke is doing and attempting to achieve this year. And, uh, you know, there are few players in Duke history. I'd have to really think about it to find a guy who is shouldering as much of a burden as Grayson Allen is this year. It's it's kind of amazing when you think about it. Um, and, and a guy who, who though he's a sophomore, barely played as a freshman. I mean, it's it's truly remarkable. But I just want to say, even though I think, I've said this before on the podcast, I think all this nonsense about Grayson Allen being a villain and, and Grayson Allen being booed everywhere he goes and being the, the, the subject of taunts um, and and nasty language and signs and things like that. I think those are things that probably are pushing him toward the NBA. I love that Al Featherstone pointed out that, no, this hug was not Grayson Allen's farewell to the ACC. This hug was Coach K giving some love and showing support for one of his favorite players of all time. I agree with and, that. And we can have the, the, the Grayson Allen should he go or should he not discussion, you know, after the season ends. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that we get to – separate and I agree with you Jason um that that there is a distinction there and that that obviously Grayson's had a, a, I think for any of the you know so-called superstars in in college basketball this year so I, I I see it the same way that you guys do in the same way that Al does here here and you know what that's going to do it for us this week uh, on episode 49 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast as Sam said you can find us on the forums at forums.dukebasketballreport.com also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or SoundCloud. Tell us how you tell us how we're doing. I think we're doing okay, uh, but we always love hearing from you. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, what we're going to do going forward is we're probably going to record something uh, after the first round matchup. Uh, hopefully, previewing a second round matchup. But we will get back to you later on this week. But for now, for Sam and Jason, I'm Donald Duke Ban. Take us home. <laughs>